Just in and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. It's a Wednesday PFT PM Podcast. One day away from the start of week two of the preseason. And as always, this time of year, plenty of things happening. I like the format from the other day. I just answered your questions. I'm going to make one exception, though. I want to talk about this Jay-Z partnership with the NFL. I'm still confused by exactly what Jay-Z will be doing. The biggest thrust of it seems to be having Rock Nation participate in the production of the Super Bowl halftime. I get the impression the NFL is getting into the music business. Finding acts. Producing acts. Also, Jay-Z involved with the NFL's social justice awareness efforts. I was talking to somebody earlier and it dawned on me. I remembered conversations I had several years ago when Jay-Z started Rock Nation and had an aspiration to represent NFL players. And I remember someone telling me that the end game for Jay-Z was NFL ownership, team ownership. Doesn't this arrangement lay the foundation for that? The NFL's already done their due diligence to do this partnership with Rock Nation. There's no African-American owner right now in the NFL. Now, he's reportedly worth a billion, and I know these numbers can be very speculative. But what if he's like the John Bon Jovi type owner? The person who is the visible owner while someone else owns the specific required amount of the equity that gives that person the vote when it's time to go to a meeting. But the person who talks publicly and for all appearances and realities and practical purposes is the owner is Jay-Z. I don't think a billion is enough to be the majority owner of a team because you need to have the equity. I think the minimum now is 30%. They may have created situations where you can own less than that, but you got to have the money to pay the bills as they arise. But this could be a path to owning a significant piece of a team and being the face and the voice of an ownership group, even if someone else is the one that has the the lion's share, but isn't making it a public endeavor. 
Just something to think about. All right, let's answer your questions. 37 of them day. Oh, gosh. Active Wednesday. PFTPM policy. What are the odds that a rival team of the Raiders has already or is trying to buy every 2010-2011 shut air advantage that's on the market? I like that idea. The race to get the remaining shut air advantage helmets so that AB will have to wear a different helmet. He was never going to retire over this. He's now bought himself at least one, maybe two, and if you can find some 2011 shut air advantage helmets, possibly three years in the helmet that he wants to wear. It's a hell of a loophole that the NFL left hiding in plain sight. And the NFL didn't want to acknowledge it. I asked them point blank the other day, as we were in the process of piecing this together, hey, NFL, if he finds a shutter advantage that's less than 10 years old and it can be certified, is he allowed to wear that? They just sent me a graphic that shows the 11 models that have been prohibited and then all the preferred models. There's no prohibition on wearing a shut air advantage. PFJP and Posse from Tom G. Post. If Vince McMahon allegedly can't afford Colin Kaepernick as a starter and Nate Sudfeld will likely be back by game five, do you really think the Eagles should still sign Kaepernick? I think Kaepernick is probably a better alternative than Nate Sudfeld as the guy who would come in and play if Carson Wentz gets injured again. See, what needs to happen is this. Kaepernick needs to make it clear that he will take whatever offer comes his way. He can't be Michael Crabtree and get the phone call, go win the gong show tryout, and then the team says, congratulations, you win. Here's your prize. And Kaepernick says, I want more. At some point, you've got to set aside what you want and take what you can get. I feel like the ice is thawing between the NFL and Colin Kaepernick. This Jay-Z thing. Jay-Z has supported Kaepernick. When I saw the quotes yesterday from Jay-Z and from Roger Goodell, I thought, boy, this rings hollow with Sean, uh, with, with, uh, Colin Kaepernick getting the cold shoulder from the NFL. And what happens when Jay-Z starts getting tough questions? Why are you doing business with the NFL if they continue to shun Colin Kaepernick? At some point, doesn't Jay-Z have to say, hey, what are we doing here, NFL? When are you going to give this guy a fair shot? When are you going to give him a fair shake? Multiple reports indicated that Colin Kaepernick's not part of this, wasn't involved, won't be back in the NFL, but between the president saying he has no problem with Kaepernick being in the NFL, Kaepernick's videos coming out where he makes it clear he's ready to come back. And this XFL angle... I think is intriguing because if the XFL swoops in and signs up NFL quarterbacks 
who were cut on August 31, taking them out of the mix to be possibly signed as the 2019 season unfolds. That moves Colin Kaepernick up the list. Should move him up the ready list. If you could take between 8 and 16 guys who would otherwise be available to join the NFL and they sign with the XFL and they are out of play, that bumps Kaepernick up higher. I think he just needs to make it clear. He shouldn't have to, but I think at this point, given everything that's happened, he needs to make it clear he'll take what he can get. PFTP and Posse, how and why would Washington not accept solid trade offers for tackle Trent Williams? How is Trent supposed to ever play for them when he feels the medical staff didn't, doesn't put his health and or interests first? I said earlier today, I think I was on WFNZ in Charlotte, that Murphy's law is that whatever can go wrong or will go wrong. Bruce Allen's law is Bruce Allen will always find a way to screw something up in Washington. If they want to keep Trent Williams, they need to go to Trent Williams, bend a knee, kiss his butt. They need to treat him like the Vikings treated Adrian Peterson in 2015 when Peterson was reluctant to return to the Vikings because he believes the team didn't properly support him during his extended suspension, whatever, whatever. Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman went to Houston, kissed his butt, changed his mind. He stayed with the Vikings. Washington needs to mobilize, should have mobilized a while ago to try to turn Trent Williams' brain around, get him thinking differently about the team. But instead, what's Bruce Allen's strategy? Ah, just keep fighting him $40,000 a day. He'll eventually cave. No, he won't. He wants out. Job one, try to convince him to stay. Job two, if he's never coming back, get what you can for him and move on. This isn't some disgruntled player that you want to send a message to all other members of the organization. This is what happens when you screw around with us. This just isn't going to end well. It's already not ending well. It's already an ugly mess. And I feel like Bruce Allen, who calls the shots in Washington, is determined to make it as bad as it can be, even though he surely believes he's doing everything just right. It's Tariq. Teams Clowney could be traded to. Any of them? Here's the problem. If Jadavian Clowney was going to be traded by the Houston Texans, he should have been traded before the July 15 deadline for signing franchise tag players to long-term contracts. He cannot sign a long-term deal if he's traded now. He would sign his franchise tender, that gets traded, and the new team cannot sign him to a new deal until the current season ends. And I guess you could do some sort of a wink-nod thing, but it would be completely unenforceable. You trade him to a new team, the new team has an understanding with his agent that as soon as the regular season ends, this is the deal they're going to do. Well, what if Clowney becomes Lawrence Taylor? Sorry. Sorry, new team. We're not following through on that deal, and what are you going to do about it? You going to argue we reneged on a deal that you were not permitted to enter into? Okay, fine. Go ahead. What are you going to give up to get a guy for one year? 
you're looking at 19 or 20 million dollar franchise tender in 2020 that becomes the starting point for negotiations on a long-term deal too many issues you got to have 16 million 17 million in cap space for this year that cannot be reduced by an extension too many moving parts and if you're houston Get the most out of him this year. Let him leave next year, and you get a third-round pick maybe as a compensatory draft selection in 2021. You were spitballing about it earlier. Chris Sims like, oh, well, why wouldn't you just take a fourth-round pick for him and get what you can in 2020? So, well, you let him walk away next year, and you get a third-round pick for him in 2021. So I'd be shocked if he's traded. And if anybody does trade for him, I'm going to say, why the hell didn't you do it before July 15 when you could sign him to a long-term deal? Blunt and Henny, Mike, with NFL's recent hiring of Jay-Z and Rock Nation, do you think this was a hiring to appease the players in the African-American community because of the Stephen Ross and Kenny Still stuff? No, because this was in the works for a while. I saw an item from Charles Robinson of Yahoo quoting Terry Pagula, the Bills owner, back during that clumsy meeting with players at the height of the anthem controversy, and Pagula suggested that NFL needs someone who is basically the spokesman for this issue. And if it's not a player, maybe it's Jay-Z. I don't know that Jay-Z is doing this for the money. It gives him credibility with the owners. And if he ever does want to be an owner or part of an ownership group, this paves the way for it. But the Stephen Ross and Kenny Stills stuff was independent. Palm Beach Post reported that Ross and Stills got together on Tuesday and they agreed to disagree. I always hate that. Anytime somebody says to me, we, dis- we agree to disagree, I say, I disagree to disagree. Why would I agree with you when we're disagreeing? When you agree to disagree, you are acknowledging that there is some merit to the other party's viewpoint. If you're really committed to your viewpoint, I don't agree to disagree. You're wrong. I'm right. That's what I'll agree to. Nothing else. Leapers 500, what did you make of the recent call by the acting head of immigration to rewrite Emma Lazarus's poem, The Golden Door, on the Statue of Liberty, or his comments that focused immigration as being from Europe? Yeah, I saw the quote that wretched in the term wretched refuse refers to Europeans. Really? I said on Twitter, I guess refuse in wretched refuse means people who refuse to be wretched. It's amazing the stuff that people will say to support a point of view, even if they have to say something that is clearly ridiculous. It's amazing the lengths to which people will go to justify their position. Instead of just saying, it's an aspirational poem. It's not a statement of American policy. There was a time when the floodgates were open. There was a time when immigration was encouraged. Yeah, you know why? Because of the Industrial Revolution. There were jobs that Americans did not want to do. They didn't want to go thousands of feet underground to mine coal. They didn't want to go into the living hell that is a steel mill. So they had to lure immigrants over from Europe with his vague promise of streets paved with gold. Hey, look at the street paved with gold. Now get 3,000 feet under it and mine coal for a nickel a month. 
And I just don't understand why a guy named Ken Cuccinelli, a descendant of immigrants, well, look, everybody except someone with pure Native American blood is a descendant of immigrants. But the idea that the immigration that happened 100 years ago was in somehow, in some way, different or special. Look, I'm, there's always been this anti-immigrant bias. But there was a time when we rose above it as a people. They didn't like the Irish and the Italians. I live in an area where there are houses that have in their deed a restrictive covenant that prohibits the sale of the house at any time to an Italian. Now, the part of West Virginia where I grew up in, Wheeling, either the, the notion of discrimination against Italians didn't really apply there, or my mother and father did a great job of shielding me from it. I was more sensitive to the class notion because there were rich and there was not rich, and we hated the people who were rich because those kids had nice cars. They had nice stuff, and I wanted that stuff. Deeper into the state the reality of discrimination against Italians became greater. And there's a lot of Italians in West Virginia because there apparently are strong similarities in the soil, the climate, et cetera, between West Virginia and Southern Italy. But, again, there was an anti-immigrant mentality back then. It wasn't just throw the doors open for the Europeans. But America found a way to get past it. They didn't slam the doors shut. There's always going to be an element of society, of our society, that wants to slam the doors shut. And our leaders can either cater to that darkest element of our nature or ignore it. Our leaders do not need to be a reflection of the worst aspects of our society. That's the problem. They can twist and warp and turn the poem that's at the bottom of the Statue of Liberty. They could be more intellectually honest and just say, it doesn't matter. But there's a lot of mental gymnastics going on to justify our leaders adopting an immigration policy that reflects the worst of our attitudes about immigrants. Those attitudes were always there about immigrants. A hundred years ago, our leaders took us above those attitudes. Now, our leaders have us rolling around in them. And while I'm in this neighborhood, let me just say one thing. This whole idea that the word Fredo is an Italian slur, and I don't mean to bash Chris Cuomo. He's already taken abuse from every direction possible. And this isn't a political thing. I understand that that some bozos were trying to bait him into taking a swing. They were recording him at an angle where he may not have even realized he was being recorded. But this notion that Fredo, calling someone Fredo, is a slur, it's not an Italian slur. Now, there's an Italian connotation to it, an ethnic connotation, when there are two brothers and you refer to one of them as Fredo. Because 
Obviously, it's an Italian character from an Italian movie. But I know all the Italian slurs. That's not an Italian slur. The, the guys who were involved were idiots. They were baiting him. They knew exactly what they were doing. And he took the bait partially and he made himself look bad. And that's really all there is that needs to be said about that. You know, people who are in the public eye, you're going to have folks that you come across from time to time who don't like you. And when they say something to you, you just have to smile. You smile and you wave and you say, have a great day. It doesn't happen to me very often, but I'm not going to. Everybody's got a camera. Even if I can't see it, everywhere you go in public, somebody is recording you. Is it really worth putting what, frankly, is a damn good life on the line? Taking the bait with some punk whose sole goal is to try to bring you down because he or she don't like you. I'm just surprised Chris Cromo gave in to that. And that's the lesson to anybody who's in the public eye. Don't give in to the inevitable reality that there's someone out there who doesn't like you and would love to bring you down and inject themselves into your story as the person who sparked the final chapter of it. On tour forever, do you see the air raid style offense working long term in the NFL? We've had a lot of gimmick offenses like the Wildcat get figured out pretty quickly. I look at it this way. If the air raid was going to work, it would have already been working. It'd already be in the NFL. Here's the question. When the receivers are open, the windows are smaller, can Kyler Murray deliver? Can Kyler Murray take the hits that he's going to inevitably face from large, fast, blitzing linebackers? I mean, yeah, you spread out the defense. What does the defense do when it's being spread out? How does it deal with that? How does it match up? I mean, ultimately, 11 superior athletes are going to impose their will on 11 inferior athletes. But when it's all things equal, you better have a scheme that fools the defense. And there's nothing better to fool the defense, frankly, than the good old-fashioned, are they running, are they passing? And if you don't have a real run threat and they're going to squat on the pass and they're going to assume pass, 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 that's not the way to win. They better have healthy doses of the run. What you want to do through your formation, your pre-stap movement, everything you do, you want to create uncertainty on the part of the defense as to whether or not what is coming next is a run or a pass. If you can do that on every possible snap, you can have a successful offense. And if you can delay as long as possible, that's why the RPO works. You delay as long as possible the commitment to the run or the pass. And you get the defense to commit to the run, then you pass. Commit to the pass, then you run. It's all about holding for as long as possible the advantage that you know what you're doing as the offense and the defense does not. That's the key. On Tour Forever, do you have a favorite football movie? Hoping you don't say Any Given Sunday. I didn't like Any Given Sunday. The original Longest Yard, I loved, and it has a special place in my heart. It was the first time I was ever at the movies, and I heard someone say the F word, and my mom was there, and it was a thrill. 
Oh my gosh, there's the F. Oh, it's the F word. It's the F word. There isn't a football movie that I just could watch over and over again. I remember when Invincible came out, it felt like, boy, that's the best movie I've ever seen. I don't think I've ever watched it again. There aren't a lot of great football movies. Rudy's pretty good. They don't make good pro football movies. Draft Day sucked. Wouldn't it be great to have, like, the ultimate football movie? Would it be a comedy? Would it be a drama? I think it'd be some of both. Brian's song was a big deal when I was a kid. I remember my sister sat and bawled at the end of that. James Kahn was Brian Piccolo. Billy D. Williams was Gail Sayers. That scene where Gail Sayers gets the player of the year, MVP, whatever it is, and talks about Brian Piccolo, and I love Brian Piccolo, and Brian Piccolo's sick, and it's a powerful movie. Wasn't really a football movie, but it was powerful. But yeah, there are some bad football movies. I think at one point we shunned any mention of Rick Riley from PFT because he was one of the script writers of Leatherheads, which I think was the worst football movie ever made. George Clooney, John Krasinski, a.k.a. Jim Halpert. It was horrible. It was so bad. I think I bought that freaking DVD. $20 pissed away. On tour forever. Why are the preseason games scattered over so many different days and times? Why don't they schedule them on a Saturday or Sunday since college football hasn't started yet? Well, this weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. I like that. Spread them out. From early September through early December, the NFL will not televise games on Friday and Saturday because that would jeopardize their broadcast antitrust exemption. And oh, by the way, the broadcast antitrust exemption reared its ugly head yesterday when the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals reinstated an antitrust case against the NFL and DirecTV. And this is a lawsuit that has fascinating possibilities. The argument by the plaintiffs in that case is this. That the arrangement set up by DirecTV and the NFL for Sunday Ticket, for all of the out-of-market games, you live in a market, you live in Pittsburgh, you get at 1 p.m. Browns at Steelers and nothing else. They force you, if you live in Pittsburgh and you're a Packers fan and you want to see Lions Packers, the only way you're going to see Lions Packers, if you live in Pittsburgh, is to get the Sunday ticket package for the entire year for every game that isn't broadcast in your market. The argument is that that practice violates antitrust laws because they are bundling everything together and making you buy it all. It reduces competition and it reduces your options. What they're arguing should happen is all of the teams should be competing with each other. And in your market, if you're in Pittsburgh and it's Browns Steelers at 1 p.m. Eastern, all the other teams that are playing in 1 p.m. Eastern games should be able to deliver to you some way, somehow, the opportunity to watch that game. Lions Packers. How can I watch it? Satellite, $5.99, buy it. Streaming, $5.99, buy it. 
But see, the NFL and DirecTV for 25 years now have tied everything together, $300 plus for the whole year, $1.5 billion per year flowing to the NFL by reducing consumer choices. When I first got DirecTV, Sunday Ticket, 1997, when I was dyed-in-the-wool, full-blown, purple-bleeding Vikings fan, I didn't give a shit about any of the other games. And every once in a while, especially if the Vikings would win and I was feeling good, I would watch one of the 4 o'clock games that wasn't on locally just because I could, because that's all just basking in the glow. Hey, maybe they'll talk about the Vikings win. Maybe they'll show some highlights of the Vikings game. That was back before you could just dial up YouTube and see the highlights of any game or Twitter where the highlights are jammed down your throat, which is not bad because you get to see anything and everything you want to see in real time. But I would not have bought the whole package. I would have bought DirecTV. I would have had the satellite dish and I would have every week ordered that Vikings game and nothing else if I had the power to do it. And I still can't believe it's taken this long to really focus the issue. It really is an antitrust violation. I always thought the NFL got away with it because of the broadcast antitrust exemption. But apparently, for delivery over satellite, cable, internet, the broadcast antitrust exemption, it doesn't apply. And for those of you who think there's too much litigation and everybody's always trying to sue and look... If you grew up in the 80s and the 70s and the 80s, you remember in the 70s, you, you saw a small handful of college football games every week. And then all of a sudden in the 80s, at some point it exploded and college football was everywhere. That's because somebody sued the NCAA to force them to stop preventing the various schools from competing with each other and putting all these games on. And now there's games everywhere. The best result for consumers of NFL product. It's not the best result for the NFL, but the best result for the consumer is the ability. If you want to watch Lion Packers and you live in Pittsburgh and Lions Packers isn't on, the ability to find a way to buy the right to watch it. Or, hey, CBS has Brown Steelers. Local Fox is allowed to run or do a deal with the Packers for all the out-of-market games, whatever it is. It's, it's almost like for, for the out-of-market games, the argument is that the team should have the ability to basically cut their own Notre Dame type of a deal. Now, what does that do to revenue sharing? I don't know. It could create chaos if it's not handled properly, and it may be years before this ever gets resolved, but I'm fascinated by where it could go. Because I think it's good for the fans. I know it's not good for the league. And when I wrote about it today, when I'm talking about it now, I'm thinking, oh, somebody in the league office is not going to be happy that I'm teeing up this issue and pointing out how the NFL has been taking advantage of those zealous fans that only want to watch their Packers games if they live in Pittsburgh, but they have to buy the whole damn thing. It's a lot less money for the NFL. If that $1.5 billion goes out the window, you're not going to rebuild that one game at a time. But for the customers, if you want to deliver them what they want, that's the way to do it. Sean Alvashire, in retrospect, shouldn't Dunder Mifflin have hired George Costanza as their regional manager when Michael Scott left? You know... You're referring to a time in the life cycle of the office that I really didn't enjoy. They had that one episode where like Ray Romano was there and 
there are all sorts of different potential candidates to run the branch. It would have been funny if George Costanza was one of the candidates, but once Michael Scott left and once he was in the prospect of leaving, and it really, it was once Jim and Pam got married that that show gradually declined. Somebody asked earlier this week, Desert Island series, Officer Seinfeld, and it's, it's, I'd say Seinfeld because there are fewer bad episodes of Seinfeld. And The Office, you know, for as good as it was, season one, two, three, four, five, at some point around six... It just started to, it started to nosedive. It recovered nicely for the finale, but there were just a lot of, and I remember consciously thinking, why do I keep watching this? I used to do that with The Walking Dead. The first couple of seasons, I loved The Walking Dead. Then it got to the point where it's like, I don't really like this anymore. But then you're four or five seasons in, I need to keep watching because I've watched it all this time. How can I stop watching now? It's like reading a book halfway through. I've got to finish the book, even though I'm at the point where I'm saying this book sucks. I I remember feeling that with The Office. Like, why do I continue to be blind and loyal to this show that is no good anymore? Sean Alvashar, could Ryan Tannehill win the starting job in Tennessee? Look, Titans fans went nuts when one of the PFT writers suggested that Marcus Mariota may be looking over his shoulder. Ryan Tannehill is every bit as good of a quarterback as Marcus Mariota. They both just have issues staying on the field. They both have durability problems. And Tannehill, when he's healthy, has a higher ceiling than Mariota. So, yeah. And you know what may happen is Mariota wins a starting job. He gets injured at some point. Tannehill comes in and plays well. And then he gets injured. And then Mariota, hopefully, he's healthy, and he comes back, and he plays, and then he gets injured. And then hopefully, Tannehill's healthy, and he comes back. If they'd had Tannehill instead of Blaine Gabbert last year as the backup to Marcus Mariota, they may have made it to the playoffs because they had two different games they had to count on him last year. Blunt and Henny asks a question I've already addressed. As an Italian, do you find the word Fredo to be offensive? There is a derogatory connotation when you direct Fredo to an Italian but the word in and of itself is not a slur against Italians. Chris Sims and I were talking about that yesterday. Because, you know, Fredo refers to the dumb brother. So I was calling Chris Sims Fredo, and he said, you haven't met my brother. <laughs> Which was actually pretty funny. Venite, Virginia, Tom Brady's average annual value in his latest contract is reportedly $28.3 million. Do you think he is trolling the Falcons with that number from Super Bowl 51, or is it a coincidence? That would be hilarious if he's trolling them. I mean, they trolled him with their ring. And, and they could put any numbers in for 2020 and 2021 because they void on the last day of the league year. It could be $200 million. It could be $500 million. They could pick any number they want. And I know there's aspects of the CBA that would prevent the cap number and the cash flow from going up that much. But my point is this. 2020 and 2021 are bullshit, bogus, fugazi numbers. 28.3. But it works out. Hey, let's do it this way. If we're going to do this, let's work backward. Let's make the annual average 28.3. I kind of like that creativity. I like that pettiness. I like it when our heroes are just as every bit as petty as we are. Stephen A., will you play in my league? No. Next question. Mario Dulio. Mario Duilo. 
Why is the Hall of Fame game the first preseason game of the year? I feel like they should make it the first regular season game of the year. Hall of Famers deserve a game that actually matters, not four stringers running around in Canton. You know, they were talking about making a regular season game, playing a regular season game in Canton next year on the 100th anniversary of the NFL, but the stadium's too small. That's the problem. The revenue's not going to be. They're not giving up that revenue. They're not going to play a game like that in front of 30,000 people. No way, no how. I have argued that what they should do with the Pro Bowl is name the Pro Bowl team at the end of the year, and then the Pro Bowl becomes the Hall of Fame game, and the players in the Pro Bowl get a dispensation from the first week of training camp practice so they can go to Canton, get paraded around Canton, be part of the festivities, play their game of touch football to start the preseason, Oh, we, we can't have that. They, these players may get injured. Well, you know what? I'd rather they get injured on the team's watch at the outset of a season than get injured on the player's watch at the start of an offseason where they got to dick around for three months trying to get themselves healthy again, especially as free agency is looming. Make the Pro Bowl the Hall of Fame game. You want revolutionary? You want something that would be compelling? You bring all the pro bowlers to Canton for a week. You give them a one-week pass from training camp. Plenty of them wouldn't want it. That's part of the problem. It would drive the coaches crazy. And for every reason that the coaches wouldn't want to do it, that's a reason to not do it when the players are getting ready to embark on their offseason. But that's what I would do with the Hall of Fame game. Make me the commissioner, and I make the Pro Bowl the next year's Hall of Fame game. And that would be awesome. Leapers 500, why does Washington believe they can force Trent Williams' hand when they actually lose leverage as time goes by? Are they deluded? I don't know if they're deluded. They're just dumb. They make bad decisions. I think the problem is Bruce Allen has all the power, and there's no one there to tell him he's doing something that he shouldn't do. Just like when they ran off Scott McLuhan, the way they handled Kirk Cousins. They just have a bad habit of making bad decisions. And this is a bad decision. If you want Trent Williams, you fix it with him. At the first sign of trouble, hey, Trent, you're a valuable member of this organization. We regret that you feel the way you do about how we treated you when you had a tumor that ended up being benign. Thank God it was benign, but I'm sorry that you have concerns about the quality of care we gave you. What can we do to make this right? And if there's nothing they can do to make it right, that's when you trade him and get what you can. Leapers 500, how many fools like the Hunt brothers who tried so many years ago to corner the market on silver lost money hunting and paying for shuts in search for arbitrage? I, I don't I don't know that it, it lingered long enough for people to go out and buy a crap load of shut air advantages like the bottle deposit scam or something like that from Seinfeld. I, I don't know that anybody actually did it. Antonio Brown moved aggressively to find enough, at least for this year. The question is, because he found them from 2010, when were they made in 2010? Can they be certified for the 2020 season, or will they be more than 10 years old when that time comes? Heather Brickell, if the, or if Golden Tate, excuse me, was forthright in notifying and stopping the fertility treatment as soon as he learned of the banned substance, how does the league stand by the suspension and not suspending Hill for his complicity with the abuse 
of a child. It's two different issues. It's two different issues. Personal conduct policy and PED policy. And the PED policy is very clear, strict, and unforgiving. And I don't know that I believe Golden Tate's excuse. As I wrote yesterday at PFT, every guy that ever gets popped for a positive PED test other than Julian Edelman has a perfectly legitimate and reasonable excuse. It doesn't matter as far as the NFL is concerned. It may matter in the court of public opinion, but I don't think fans care anyway. I think most fans look at football players and say, well, they got to be doing something to get that big, to stay that big, and to be able to come back from injury. And so many people think it's okay to use a PED to come back for injury. It's not. You're cheating to heal from an injury so you can take away the job of someone who isn't cheating. Assuming that the person that you would be replacing once you're healthy isn't also cheating to get an edge over you, and it's possible that they're cheating too, but if they get caught, they face the consequences. I just think that we need to regard PED use by players regardless of the reason. People think that it's only a problem if you're using it to run faster, jump higher, and push harder. That it's okay to use it if you're trying to recover from an injury. It's not. It's not. I understand the pressure. I understand the temptation. I understand the urgency to maintain the lifestyle, especially as you get older. You've got a big mortgage. You've got commitments. You've got family. You've got cars. You want to continue this fairy tale lifestyle for as long as you can. And you're at constant risk when you're on the wrong side of 30 that they're going to draft somebody who's making peanuts under the rookie wage scale. And they're going to say, this guy's better. Dollar for dollar, this guy's better. Screw the old guy. See you later. Thanks for everything. Bye. So there's a temptation to use PEDs to either come back from injury or maintain an edge. And for everybody who tests positive, I took a supplement and I didn't know it had a banned substance or it's fertility treatment or what was the Robert Quinn excuse my medication was tainted in the pharmacy because it was in proximity to some banned substance and banned substance got on my medication i've always said hey man if somebody really wants to screw with a player and he shows up at the local chilies just sprinkle a little ped on his chicken salad gets in his system hey the nfl players association agreed to this the players have agreed to this strict liability if you test positive you are regarded as a violator of the PED policy, and any excuse you give is merely an exercise in damage control from a PR standpoint. James McDonough, Dr. J144, how do you and PFT avoid getting used and or tricked when reporting? For example, Dak at $40 million per year appears to be the Cowboys using a reporter. Ron Borges got tricked when he asked when he said Tom Brady wanted Jimmy G upfront money a while back. As Dan Patrick says, fast and wrong is still fast and still wrong. It's it, look, it's a challenge. And, you know, I've got people who have been good sources over the years and they'll say, hey, I got that one right. Hey, I got that one. Right. I say, that's fine. But you get one wrong and I'm the one that takes the heat for it. We had that Michael Crabtree blunder a week or so ago where I got out over my skis on Crabtree signing with the Cardinals. He hadn't signed with the Cardinals. The assumption was he was going to sign with the Cardinals because he went to a gong show tryout. He won it. The Cardinals made him an offer and he didn't accept it. They still wanted him. Now, 
there were reports that were put out there by the Cardinals to suggest that they didn't really want him, which I think were false. I know were false. They wanted him. They made him an offer. You just have to have good instincts. You have to have good sources. You have to trust the people who are your sources. And there needs to be accountability when your source burns you. And my source on this Michael Crabtree thing was extremely apologetic, was concerned that it was going to affect our relationship. And I said, don't worry about it. It's fine. It happens. It was an innocent mistake. It was a bad assumption. And it was partially on me for not making another call or two to confirm it. I could have easily, easily, and it was stupid. I was out to dinner. It was my nephew's birthday. The text came. I trusted it. And we went with it. And in hindsight, I was like, shit. If I'd have been home in my regular spot before pushing it, because it's like, hey, if they've, oh boy, this, hey, Michael Crabtree signed with the Cardinals. It's going to be all over Twitter. I better go ahead and get it out there. It was a mistake. But I know my source didn't deliberately lie to me. I know this isn't my source putting something out there like the Cowboys put out there $40 million per year is what Dak wants. See, this, is, and I talk about this all the time. Most people don't care about it. Some of you do. When a league has its own media company, when a team has its own media operation, and in the case of NFL media, it's partially owned by the Cowboys. It's wholly owned by the NFL. The Cowboys are a very influential team. And when you embed reporters with teams, they're not going to piss the team off. And it's a plum assignment. For Jane Slater to be the embedded reporter for NFL media with the Cowboys, you don't want to lose that assignment because the Cowboys are a team that is always relevant. The Cowboys have sizzle. You'd rather be the embedded reporter with the Cowboys than the Jaguars. I don't even think they have an embedded reporter with the Jaguars. So if Stephen Jones tells you that we've offered 30 and Dak wants 40, you're going with it. No questions asked. And if it ends up being false, that's okay. May have hurt my credibility, may have undermined my integrity, but I'm still employed as the reporter embedded with the Dallas Cowboys for NFL media. And I know in the past she's been sensitive about this, hey, you work for the league argument. A lot of these folks don't realize it, that it's a problem to take a paycheck signed by Roger Goodell and then cover the National Football League and its teams. And in this case, it's a very, very simple justification. Doesn't matter if other people criticize. Doesn't matter if I have less credibility moving forward. People will forget about it, but the one person who won't forget about it is Stephen Jones. Because mission accomplished. They got the phony number out there. They're trying to get the fans on their side. I think that's a mistake. I think that whole exercise is evidence that the Cowboys are flummoxed by the fact that they want to pay a shitload of money to Amari Cooper, Dak Prescott, and Ezekiel Elliott, and that none of those guys will take the money. And I know it's bad form to speculate on people's sources, but it was just last week that the same reporter says that generous offers have been made to all three of these players by the Cowboys. And within 24 hours, Stephen Jones is on radio saying generous offers have been made to these players. So the Cowboys, I think, are at their wits end 
And this false report is just evidence that they don't know what to do to try to bully Dak Prescott into seeing things the way that they want him to see it. So bottom line to answer your question, James, you got to have sources you trust. And when there is a mistake, there better be a damn good explanation for it. And if you let yourself get manipulated with a false report, you need to understand. You need to, you need to be able to say, you know, I, I've had people feed me something where it's like, you've got a bias here. This doesn't seem right. You know, especially with Dak Prescott. It was reported back in June he wants $34 million a year. Now all of a sudden he wants 40 I better look into this one. How does a guy go, go from wanting 34 to 40 So you got to have good instincts, good relationships, and you have to be in a position where you got the juice to make it stick. If, if somebody does cross that line, you know, we got a pretty persuasive platform. We got a pretty strong bully pulpit. And if somebody deliberately screws me, it's going to be problematic for them going forward because they're going to have times where they want to get word out on one of their clients. I'm not trusting you this time. Sorry, take it to someone else. Brian CF86, how pissed is Antonio Brown that Ben Roethlisberger went ahead of him in the draft today, the headache draft? Ben Roethlisberger, more desirable as a guy with headaches than Antonio Brown. Hey, at least Antonio Brown made the board. I thought about not putting him on the board because it's like, is he really worth the headaches? It's like, yeah, he is. He is. Groom Matt, is there an obvious reason why a quarterback like Dak wouldn't ask for a deal in line with peers plus whatever the team doesn't spend to hit the salary cap max each year? This would force teams to spend the full cap on surrounding talent to help quarterbacks win. If they don't, he gets more money. I think before we would ever get to something like that, which is very creative and no team is ever going to go for, we need to get to the point where a quarterback says, I want... X percent of the salary cap guaranteed to me every year. So as the cap goes up, I make more money. Not whatever's left over under the cap I get. No one's ever going for that because none of them have ever gone for this idea of a cap percentage that is tied to the salary. 16%. Whatever the cap is, I get 16%. I like the idea of pressuring teams to pay more, but no one's ever going to say, hey, the balance, if you know, if, if we don't spend 100% of the salary cap, we're going to give it to you. But it's a creative idea. Dean Osborne, 42, shut must be overjoyed at the amount of free publicity they've gotten over the Antonio Brown helmet saga. They ought to be slipping Brown some cash on the side for this. They should be moving heaven and earth to find him as many shut air advantages as they can. How hard can it be? Shut has not embraced this. They've not owned this. I've seen no statement from shut. They should make a big deal about this. Track down as many helmet air advantages as you can and help Antonio Brown. Here's the problem. Here's what I think is going on. They realize that this whole helmet loophole makes the NFL look a little bit bad. The NFL allowed that loophole to exist. They never put the air advantage on the list of banned helmets. The NFL doesn't want him wearing the air advantage. He's found a way to beat the NFL at its own game. So if shut revels in this, maybe more shut helmets end up on the banned list. It's something to worry about because there's got to be a lot of discretion in this process as to which helmets are banned and which ones aren't banned. There's got to be a lot of discretion. And I'm not suggesting the NFL would do that, but it may be prudent business practice by shut to not poke the bear. 
Mike Likes Dirt, will you please name three active players and one player from any era you'd like to hear Sims do a deep dive film breakdown of and explain each choice? Hashtag nerd alert. I don't know. Those are things I got to think about in advance. Three active players and one player from any era you'd like to hear Sims do a deep dive on. Well, I'd like to see it with Tom Brady because he doesn't hold Tom Brady in the proper estimation that he should. So I'd like to see that. I'd like to see him do a deep dive breakdown on Adam Thielen because the way he runs pass routes is just over the top, amazing and impressive. And I think other receivers would benefit from seeing that master class and a guy who pulled himself up from nothing, wasn't even invited to the scouting combine if you haven't heard that one. I'd like to see a deep dive on Aaron Donald just because I like watching Aaron Donald highlights and then all time, I'm just fascinated by the ability of Johnny Unitas to be such a high-end quarterback in an era that was not conducive to throwing the football. The Impact 99, good afternoon, Mike. Does the fact that hardly anyone is talking about the Falcons benefit or hurt their attempt to rise up to the top of the league again? Hey, I would rather not be talked about. I would rather not have expectations. I would rather be ignored and forgotten because, number one, your players don't get a big head. Number two, it's used to get them pissed off. Nobody believes in us. John Gruden was playing that card last night in Hard Knocks. A lot of people out there think we're not going to be very good. A lot of people don't believe in us. A lot of people think we're going to be bad. I know that's a bad John Gruden. He should be easy to do. It was Frank Caliendo-ish last night, though. When he was doing that speech at the outset of the episode about it's week two now, the preseason, it's time to take it up to a new level. And then he starts yelling F-words like all of a sudden. Like that escalated quickly. Mario Diolo, can you explain the lawsuit against Sunday Ticket in non-lawyer talk? I've already talked about it. Let me try to to make it as clear as I can. Uh, The antitrust laws prohibit, and just the word antitrust makes it hard to explain it in non-lawyer speak. There's a concept out there called antitrust that is aimed at preventing different businesses in the same industry from coming together to hurt competition. And because the NFL fundamentally, by the way it was structured 100 years ago, every new sports league is a single entity, like the XFL, the AAF, every new, the the Major League Soccer, single entity. By having 32 separate businesses who are all ostensibly competing, when they come together, and reach agreements among themselves aimed at limiting competition among themselves so they don't hurt each other and drive each other out of business, but also it's aimed at maximizing their revenue. That becomes an antitrust violation. And that's what this DirecTV lawsuit is. It's saying instead of these 32 businesses doing what they have to do to compete, uh, let me give you the exa- let me the best example I can think of on the fly. Hulu, Netflix, every other streaming service out there. They are constantly present Amazon Prime, Hulu, Netflix, Amazon Prime, ESPN Plus, HBO Go, HBO Now, whatever it is, and all the other ones that are coming, right? They want you to buy their product and watch their stuff. And they're in competition to come up with stuff to get you to buy their product. So the argument is this. The NFL makes available through its broadcast TV contracts, which they have an exemption to the antitrust laws. They're allowed to go out and market their TV rights to over-the-air networks 
in a bundle and say, if you want the Cowboys, you got to take the Jaguars and you're going to take whatever games we give you. And here are the rules for what you can broadcast when you can broadcast. The argument is this, that supplemental package that you can purchase direct TV Sunday ticket that selling it to you as the whole season, all teams, you have no choice that violates antitrust laws because that reduces competition because what should happen is the Cowboys should be able to market to you their home game at one o'clock that you should be able to buy some way, somehow get access to some way, somehow in your market. The Packers should be able to do it. The Patriots should be able to do it and they should all be competing just like Hulu, Netflix, Amazon, etc. Buy me, buy me, buy me, buy me. You can buy them all if you want or you can just buy one. Instead, what they've done is they've come together and you've got to pay this gigantic global fee to have Hulu, Netflix, Amazon, all of them. I don't want all of them. I just want to watch Seinfeld on Hulu. Too bad. You got to buy all of them. To get any of them, you got to buy all of them. That's an antitrust violation. And the various teams of the NFL are independent, just like the various streaming companies that are out there. I hope I've explained that you can submit that for CLE credit. If you are a lawyer or if you're not a lawyer, hopefully you understand it. And more importantly, you're still awake. All right, let's look at a couple more here before we wrap this up. The impact 99 to the recent antics and events of AB still qualify him as a diva receiver. Well, hell yes. Hell yes. What, what has he done lately that has disqualified him from that label? Dean Osborne, 42. And this is the CBA between the league and the NFLPA available online for the public to see or is it only allowed to be scrutinized by those working in the business? Hey, Dean Osborne, go to Google and search NFL CBA 2011. It'll be one of the top results. And don't thank me because I don't think you want to read it. Frank Chavoui, what exactly is the NFL's partnership with Rock Nation supposed to do? Good question. I'm not sure. I think the big thing is produce the halftime show of the Super Bowl. The rest of it, very murky to me. I'm skipping through some of these because we've already addressed them. At The Real Forno, CCS The Real Forno, any updates on CBA negotiations, whether it be progressing, regressing, or scheduled meetings? I I don't think this gets done until March at the earliest. They've got to work through the revenue split. That's the big thing. And also the stadium credits. It's going to take time. Eddie Horse Sports with Steelers receivers coach Daryl Drake passing away recently. Can we see the Steelers season go sideways the way the 2018 Vikings did after Tony Sperano died in training camp last year? It was actually before training camp when Sperano died. And it's, I don't know, I, I don't want to wag a finger here, Eddie, but it just feels, and we talked about this on PFTOT today, how it impacts the Steelers. But, but the, the main thing is there's been a tragedy for this man's family and a tragedy for the Steelers. And now they have to process that because no one is going to shed any tears for them. Whether it's, you know, with the Vikings, one year it's the Teddy Bridgewater injury. Mike Zimmer says nobody's shedding any tears for us. They're not going to pause the season. They're not going to cancel the season because of it. Same thing with the death of an assistant coach or a head coach or anybody. The season moves forward. God forbid there would ever be a Marshall-style plane crash of an NFL team. The season's going to move forward. They're not going to cancel the season. I don't know what they would do in a situation like that. But the season would move forward. And the Steelers are going to have a challenge. The Vikings had a challenge last year. Now, I think the Steelers are uniquely positioned to deal with this and move forward because they're already in that mindset of us against the world. And this may make them even more determined to have that mindset. But but it's, it's stunning. Chris Sims was saying, you know, he was the receivers coach when Chris was at Texas. He spent three hours with him last week in training camp. So... 
I, I think the Steelers are going to be good this year, and I think they're going to overcome it. I don't think. I think the Vikings were so caught up in that hype train that they're going back to the Super Bowl that nothing that happened was going to change that vibe, and they were set up for failure just from that mindset, just from that presumption. Hey, we got to the Final Four with Case Keenum. Now we've got Kirk Cousins. No-brainer. Punch our ticket right back to the Final Four, to the Super Bowl, and maybe we can finally win a Super Bowl championship. Brian CF86, if Brown can't find a helmet to his liking, continues to fight the NFL on this. Is there anything in his contract that the Raiders suspended him for conduct detrimental to the team? And void? Hey, look, if, if he, look, here's the bottom line. He's got to show up and play. He's got to wear the approved safety equipment. I said this earlier in the week. If you are on a construction job and there's a hard hat and you, there's a hard hat rule, there's a hard hat requirement, and they have invalidated certain types of hard hats because they, the model's too old. But you know what? This was my grandpa's lucky hard hat. It's got seven cracks in it. It was, you know, it, it was made out of paper mache. It was perfectly legitimate back in 1972, and I want to wear it now. And they say no. The the union and management have agreed that these are the acceptable forms of hard hats. Yeah, but I really like this one. It's light. It's comfortable. I feel good. I look good. I can work better. I can work faster. Doesn't matter. Antonio Brown, at some point, is going to have to choose between not playing football or playing in one of these other helmets. And, and I thought it was such a disservice to the entire process to have his lawyers leak this idea that, oh, the NFL is going to be liable if I don't get to wear the helmet I want to wear, if they force me to wear another helmet. This is all about enhancing safety. This isn't about acting out on some vendetta against a player. They're trying to find the safest possible helmets. It's a safety rule. And the NFL PA is part of it. So it's very simple. You show up and play, or you go away. And for now, he's going to show up and play because apparently he's found at least one shut air advantage helmet. He hopes it gets recertified and reconditioned. And I was saying today, and this isn't all, I've, I've, I'm way more cynical about other things. I don't think his feet are going to heal until he has a helmet, a shut air advantage that is recertified, reconditioned, and ready to go. That plane is going to land perfectly. Just as that helmet shows up in silver and black, and it's ready to go, the moment he slides it onto his head, his feet are going to be healed. Not that there wasn't an issue with his feet, but my point is, the issue with the feet will linger until the helmet is ready. Recliner QB, the Cowboys leaked that Dak wanted $40 million a year. How, if at all, does this affect Dak's relationship with management, his attitude, etc.? Because it would be hard to work with my bosses lying to the media and make me look bad and cost me money. Yeah, I think Dak is probably pissed off. It reminds me of what happened a few years ago when Eli Manning was entering the last year of his contract. And he had a cap number that translated to a franchise tag, that when you took the franchise tag, the franchise tag the year after that, what he was due to make that year, it's very easy to do a calculation that would have made Eli Manning the highest paid quarterback in the league because the market hadn't been going up and Eli Manning's cap number for the last year of his contract was really high. And yeah, look, this is how we do it. Sometimes you determine the value of a contract by market. Sometimes you determine the value of a contract by how the franchise tag works. This is the leverage I have. Well, wisely, CAA was arguing that Eli Manning's contract should be determined by, be determined by cap number this year, franchise tag next year, franchise tag the year after, and it made him the highest paid player in league history. So the Giants at some point leaked that Eli Manning is demanding to be the highest paid quarterback in NFL history. And people lost their minds. 
how can Eli Manning be the highest paid quarterback in NFL history? Nobody wanted to hear the reasoning. Well, here's the reasoning. The market hasn't gone up. Eli Manning's in the last year of a contract with a high cap number. It translates to when you apply the 120% rule, a very high franchise tag for one year. If they don't want to use the franchise tag, let him become a free agent. And then it's an even higher franchise tag the next year. It's how it works. It's how you value a guy for the purposes of determining whether or not you're going to use the franchise tag, sign him to a long-term deal, let him walk away. It's very simple. But Eli Manning walked right into that steel beam of this guy. Who does he think he is? And I think the Cowboys were trying to duplicate that. Didn't work. It worked with Eli Manning. It's not going to work with Dak Prescott, and it may just piss him off. And you know what Dak Prescott may do? And I keep waiting for someone to do this who is truly a franchise quarterback. And Dak Prescott is closer to a franchise quarterback than not a franchise quarterback. One of these guys is going to say, look what it did for Kirk Cousins. I'm going to do it for me. I thought Russell Wilson was going to be that guy. But if you piss off Dak, Dak may say, screw it, not doing a deal. Franchise tag in 2020, then franchise tag in 2021. Then in 2022, you either give me a 44% raise over my franchise tag number of what is expected to be $30 million, which let's see, $30 million for 2021 times 1.44. It's $43.2 million to keep him in 2022. You either do that or I become a free agent. And then at some point, somebody's going to be, be tagged a fourth time and there's going to be a gigantic grievance on whether or not a fourth franchise tag is available. Because the NFL thinks it is, and the NFLPA thinks it isn't. And the CBA is silent on whether or not someone can be tagged a fourth time. Stephen A., the year Williams and Oliver are drafted by the Jets and Bills, is this Brady's last or next year when the two are breaking through? I... I I just have a feeling this is Brady's last year. But once again, he's reiterated he wants to play until he's 45. But I think a lot of this is smoke and mirrors aimed at ensuring that he never has a farewell season and that it's never clear that this year is the last year. One of these years is going to be the last year. And he's going to know at some level it's the last year. He's going to be conscious when he's in the last year that this is the last year. Unless he just gets to the end of the season and says, I'm too old for this shit and he's done. There's going to be in his mind a final year. I think he wants to avoid a Derek Jeter farewell tour. He doesn't want it to be about him. And I know from from communicating with people who know him, close to him, there's a concern that in certain situations when he's feeling emotional about something, he does not perform as well. There was concern when he came back from the Deflategate suspension. It was going to be too emotional. He wasn't going to play as well. He doesn't want to play with emotion. He wants to play in that very calculating manner where he goes out and carves you up with a smile on his face and a song in his heart. He does not want a farewell tour. I think he's just going to be gone like a cat, right? Cats don't die. They just go. And you never see him again. A couple more before we wrap up. Dean Osborne, 42. You say Aaron Rodgers should take his comments or criticism of LaFleur to the coach and not to the media, to which I agree. But was Kenny Stills still right to publicly call out owner Stephen Ross? I think it's different when you're talking about matters unrelated to the team. Stills has acknowledged that he probably should have gone to Stephen Ross. But what Stephen Ross did was inherently public. What Matt LaFleur is doing with the team's offense is inherently private. Matt LaFleur is not out there saying this is the way it's going to be and tough shit if you don't like it, Aaron Rodgers. Kenny Stills was reacting in public to a public maneuver by Stephen Ross to be involved in political discourse by 
hosting a fundraiser for the president. So it's different. But within the confines of a team, a coach, and I, and I will say this over and over again. I'll say it as many times as I need to until people like Chris Sims understand what I'm saying. Any coach of any sport at any level wants a player who has a concern to come to the coach. And Aaron Rodgers could have avoided all this. The whole thing is an unforced error on Aaron Rodgers. By talking publicly about wanting freedom at the line of scrimmage to change plays. You don't talk about that publicly. You go to Mount LaFleur. By talking publicly about live special teams drills or close to live special teams drills with joint practices. And I bet the NFLPA is going to be interested in that. You know what you do? Immediately after practice, you say, hey, coach, you got a minute. I want to talk to you about something. I got a concern about these joint practices, especially because, you know, these special teams drills, man, they were, oh, they were intense. You know, this this film is going to be available. And I've heard stories over the years about the NFLPA showing up. They look at it. The next thing you know, you get punished. You lose draft picks. You get fined. I don't think we want that, do we? That Tyler Dunn article in Bleacher Report, that lengthy article about the issues between Rodgers and Mike McCarthy, talked about how much Rodgers is averse to confrontation. And I'm not real big on confrontation. I remember when I was working at a law firm and they're trying to groom me to get into management and they sent me to go talk to a lawyer who wasn't doing something that he should be doing. And I I didn't like that. I didn't like having to sit down face to face and tell somebody how they're screwing up. I think people can figure that stuff out on their own. They don't need to hear it from me. But in Roger's case, he isn't uncomfortable when it comes to that drive-by criticism that gets thrown out for media consumption, but he gets pissed off when somebody realizes what he's doing. I was on the score today in Chicago. Hub Arkish was in for one of the hosts. And, you know, he he's a firm believer that Aaron Rodgers knows exactly what he's doing when he throws those little daggers at his coach. And he is smart enough to know what he's doing. I think he resents it when there are people in the media who don't just go along with it, but who will press pause and say, do you see what he just did there? This guy's calling out his coach. He's criticizing his coach. He's throwing shade at his coach. See, he wants to be able to throw those little spitballs unnoticed, not unnoticed, but without consequence. I think he wants the people who are the target of those little spitballs to realize what he's doing, but God forbid anybody say, hey, Aaron Rodgers is throwing spitballs at his coach. That's a weird mindset, man. But this whole thing about him trying to shout down and brush off the criticism is clickbait. And fake news. That stuff doesn't work. And and I don't know that Aaron Rodgers wants to behave in a way that the current commander-in-chief is behaving. Say something he doesn't like, your fake news. If that's how you want to be, that's fine. It's your prerogative. But it doesn't take all that much gray matter to see through what Aaron Rodgers is doing, which qualifies me for the job. And it's nothing personal with Aaron Rodgers. All he's got to do is quit criticizing his coach publicly. Because if he's going to do it, I'm going to notice it. I'm going to say something about it. All right, one last question. Then we got to go. Maybe two. Sando Shuffle, did the Cowboys accidentally draft too well the past few years considering the financial situation they're now in? Yes. They've, They've now put a great team together and they don't know how to hold it all together. Stephen A., do you think they'll pay Jared Goff or is there a new formula to win and get a quarterback and put him behind Goff and sell off Goff and keep that going and have more depth to your team? You know, I, I banged on that drum earlier in the summer and 
Mary, look, eventually there's going to be a team that says to a franchise quarterback who wants too much money, we will find someone else. And Sean McVay spends a lot of time propping up Jared Goff. And everything Sean McVay says that props up Jared Goff is potentially going to be rammed down McVay's throat when it's time to try to sign Jared Goff. Look at all these things you've said about Jared Goff. He's worth $45 million a year. And maybe they'll pay him that. Maybe they believe in him. Maybe they will marry him for the long term. He'll be the quarterback of the Rams for 20 years. But at some point, one of these teams is going to get a demand. And maybe it's Dak Prescott and the Cowboys. One of these teams is going to say, we will not do this. And Sims and I were talking about this today on PFTOT. Go, go back and listen to it. The file gets dropped in the PFTPM podcast folder every day. Sims thinks that quarterbacks get too much money, that they're the focal point of too much praise and pride. And, you know, we, we were kind of talking through all of it, and it dawned on me that a franchise quarterback becomes kind of like a trophy for an owner. The face of the franchise, the selling point, the pride of the organization. And as long as you have a franchise quarterback, you know, you're going to be relevant. You're going to be in contention. You're going to have a team that you can market because we got this franchise quarterback. And I think teams get unreasonably smitten with these franchise quarterbacks. Well, the days of that happening may be ending because it does cost a shitload of money. Robert Kraft has it great because he hasn't had to pay the price that that trophy costs other franchises and other owners. And it all came up because of this idea that John Mara, the co-owner of the Giants, believes that drastic changes needed to be made. Get rid of Odell Beckham Jr., Olivier Vernon, Landon Collins. Because, hey, we've only been to the playoffs once since winning the Super Bowl in 2011. Okay, that's fine. Why the hell is Eli Manning still your quarterback? And remember how pissy John Mara got last year when it was suggested he's holding on to Eli Manning out of sentimentality? You know, one thing I've noticed, the more pissed someone gets about an astute observation, the more likely it's right on the money. All right, we're not right on the money. We're an hour and 15 minutes. People, what are you doing to me? I got other things to do. Quit asking me all these great questions that I have to answer, and then they give me ideas for uh, things I can talk about on PFT Live and posts I can write at PFT. All right, you know the drill. There'll be another one on Thursday or Friday. We may have Drew Brees next Tuesday on the PFT PM podcast, so... Keep an eye on that. So that'll kind of spend a Monday, Tuesday. But either way, three a week until the season starts. Then we'll see how the season gets rolling because everything gets turned upside down when the regular season comes. But I can't wait for that to happen. Thanks, as always, for your support. Oh, jeez, you know what? I did it again. Because I don't do like four topics and then transition. Very important that you've hung around and listened to this because I need to tell you something. Summer's heat and it's still hot out can be draining on your vehicle's battery. Rising temperatures can cause battery fluids to evaporate. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts now and have your battery tested free of charge. If your battery does need to be replaced, the professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts will help you find the exact superstar battery that fits your car or your truck at a guaranteed low price. O'Reilly Auto Parts, every better parts, better prices every day. All right, uh, that's it. Thanks, and we'll do it again later this week. Have a great day. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters 
both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.